Lord Jesus, I just thank you that we have your word in front of us, Lord, that your word is speaking to us your truth. God, I thank you for the, the truth that it has spoken to my heart this week in moments of discouragement and, and anger and worry and fear, God. Um, you never change. Your love never changes. Your message to us of hope never changes, no matter what circumstances we might find ourselves in. And so I pray, God, that as we enter into your word this morning, that it would speak that truth to our hearts that you would open us up to be able to receive what you have for us to hear. And God, that my words would illuminate that truth, not just for my heart, but for all who are here. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would, open up your Bible to uh, the letter to the church in Philippi, Philippians chapter 1. We're going to start at the second half of verse 18. If you have a Bible, open it up. If you don't, you can use your Bible app on your phone, um, whatever you need. But I want you to be in God's Word because we're going to kind of climb through this together and I'd like you to be able to see it as we enter into this passage, um, beginning again at verse 18. Paul says, Yes, I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and through the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which, I shall, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and for joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. The word of the Lord. This week would have been the 95th birthday of my wife Alyssa's grandfather, Robert Koenig. Now, I've been really blessed because as I grew up, I didn't know my grandfathers. Uh, I knew my grandmothers. One of my grandpas died before I was born, the other one before I can really remember. And so I've gotten the chance to get to know two great grandfathers in the grandfathers of my wife. And I got to know Grandpa Koenig um, before he passed away a number of years ago for quite a few years. Um, his name is actually the namesake of our son Jacob. His middle name is Robert. Here's a picture of Grandpa Koenig holding Jacob when he was just born. And here's another picture of Grandpa Koenig. This was posted by Alyssa's Aunt Chris just on his birthday this week. He was a doctor and he worked in the lab at Columbia Hospital in Milwaukee. And she was reflecting on how if he was still a doctor today that he would have been one of the doctors that would have been conducting tests. Tests like testing for those who might be um, positive in having COVID-19. He was also a Purple Heart. He served in the Army during World War II and he served on the, the battles that took place on the beaches of Normandy. He was injured during those battles and so badly that they left his body on a pile of other soldiers who were left for dead. But somebody saw him moving, and by the grace of God, he was taken to the medics, and eventually he survived. And so you could just imagine, right, what it was like to sit at the feet 
of a person with so much wisdom. Whenever we would go to his house, we would, we would usually storm into his den and we would sit there and just listen to the things that he had to say as a person who grew up during the Great Depression, as somebody who fought in World War II, as somebody who went on to medical school and, and was accomplished in his career, who, who had a long and, and loving marriage, who raised a family, who was a man of deep faith in who he lovingly referred to as his Jesus in his later years of life. And when you were there and you just listened to him, that's all you did. Now, he never said that the experiences that he had in the difficult years, and there were many, he never said that they were enjoyable, but he had so much wisdom that he learned because of them. And the reason that I, I start there is because we're starting a new series as we're going into the book of Philippians, and we're going to sit at the feet of someone else who's been through so many different circumstances that have led him to the wisdom that he's sharing with us in this letter to a place called Philippi. Paul, just like Grandpa Koenig, had a past that was filled with trials and lessons that he learned from those trials. And this letter that we're getting ourselves into, this book of Philippians, is one that he wrote coming out of many of those and even in the midst of trial. He was under house arrest at the time that he wrote it. He was under house arrest for two years. It was an imprisonment where he was literally chained to a Roman guard. And he was in a position that he didn't really know whether or not he was ever going to get out of. And yet it's out of that place that he writes this letter. It's out of that place that we sit at his feet. And you will see that the most repeated word in this letter is the word joy. And that's why we're calling the series Upside Down Joy, because that doesn't make sense when you start to think about what he's in the midst of. And we're not actually going to try to make sense of any of it, but we are going to try to enter into the tension of the situation, because I think a lot of us can probably relate to it in ways that we never could before. But I want to give you a little background first. Now, last Sunday was Easter, right? And that probably occurred around the year 33 AD. And it was only maybe two years after that, as this resurrected King Jesus was, was getting out to the Roman Empire and out throughout the Jews and causing quite the stir that this overzealous religious leader by the name of Saul, later his name would be referred to as Paul, he, he would come out onto the scene. Now, in the book of Acts, if we look, we'll see that he was so zealous against the Christians that he oversaw the killing of the first recorded martyr for the Christian faith, Stephen. And in Acts chapter 9, it says in verse 1 that Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples when Jesus met him on a road to a place called Damascus. And in that moment, everything changed. He started sharing his faith with everyone. His faith in Jesus, that is. And that was such a provocative thing, especially a guy like Paul, that it got him into lots of different, very difficult spots. He was in and out of prison throughout his entire ministry. He was beaten in public. He was stabbed in the back by people within the church and outside of the church. But God sustained him through much of it. And after 15 years of being a Christian, he went to a place called Philippi, which is in modern day Greece, and he told them about Jesus. And they started a church there. 
And it wasn't easy when he went. If you read about that in Acts, I think it's about chapter 16, you'll see that he and his friend Silas were thrown into prison. They were beaten in public for what they were doing. They healed someone in the name of Jesus. But in the midst of all of it, the people around them started to follow Jesus as well. And so if you fast forward 10 years after that, Paul finds himself in prison again. And this time he's in Rome. And the church in Philippi sent one of their own to give um, Paul some financial support so that he could continue to, to live and to do the work that he was doing while he was confined in that place. And, and, and this was no small thing. They couldn't just send a check in the mail or go online and make an offering. This meant that they needed to send someone seven to 1,200 miles in order to be able to deliver this. And that journey would have taken anywhere from three weeks to three months. And so the least Paul could do is write them a thank you note. And that's what he's doing here in the book of Philippians. And so if you look at the first couple of verses in chapter 1, he's sending his greetings. He's sending his thanks. And then he continues in verse 12, just before our reading today, and says, I want you to know, brothers, that, that what's happened to me, I'm in prison right now, right? But what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having been confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold now to speak the word without fear. Paul is telling them how he's doing in prison. I'm sure they want to know. That's why they're sending him support. And he's telling them that not only have I survived, but these difficult circumstances have actually made such an impression on the people around me that the people around me that don't know Jesus are starting to find their faith in him because of this circumstance. Even the guards, right? Can you imagine if you were the guard that was tied to, to, to Paul while he was in prison? Paul would probably just talk your ear off about Jesus. And, and he did it so well and, and so much that the people around him actually came to the faith. Not only did they do that, but so did the preachers that were not in prison. They heard about Paul and all that he was sacrificing for the faith that they were preaching boldly, even the ones that were doing it for selfish motives. But Paul says that, that that's okay. I will rejoice, even if people don't always understand or do it for the right reasons. Verse 18, he says, I will rejoice because I know that in the midst of what I'm going through, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this is going to turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. What Paul is saying is that I know that even though I'm still in prison, even though I know that my life is at risk, even though I know that I have so little resources right now, so little money right now that you needed to send someone a thousand miles just to help me, I know that in the midst of all of that, I will get through this and I can even rejoice. And there's two things that I just want to give you is almost just a way of introduction to this letter as we're going to spend time in it. Two things that we see in these opening verses. The first one is that Paul needs God and he needs others. Paul needs God 
and he needs others. Look again at verse 19. It says, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. He knows he's going to get through it, but he also knows he can't get through it alone. And so he says specifically, I need your prayers. I need your prayers, and I need the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And with those two things, I know that I'm going to get through this. And friends, as we go through what we're going through, as a global community, I think we can say the same thing, can't we? That in order to be able to get through this, it's going to require us to support one another, to pray for one another, and it's literally going to require the Spirit of Jesus Christ to be with each and every one of us. And that's the first thing that Paul says. He says, I know that I'm going to get through this, but it's going to take those two things. The second thing we see is that Paul does not downplay his situation. Paul does not downplay his situation. This is hard. He's in prison. His life is so difficult. Look at what the next verse says. Verse 21, he says, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Now, when we read those verses, and rightly so, we often interpret them for verse 21. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And we think about somebody, right, like a soldier for God. For, for to live is Christ and to die is gain. And we think, wow, there's all of this strength. But look at what he says. He says in verse 23, he says, My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Why do you think Paul says that? Well, because what he's going through right now on earth is hard. It's fruitful. People are coming to Jesus. He believes in what God is doing in the midst of it, but it's also hard and painful. So hard that he says, my desire is to depart and be with Christ right now. That would be far better. Now, I want to ask you a question. I'm a little nervous about this because I know that we're online and people are going to be able to dig this dirt up about me later on. So you're going to have to forgive me, some of you. But are there any country music fans out there? Any country music fans out there? I hope there's a couple, and I know that if you're on Facebook or YouTube, here's what I want you to do, okay? There's some ground rules, all right? If, if you like country music, just let us know. Let us know that we're not alone. And I also know, I actually used to be a DJ, believe it or not, before I was a pastor. That's a story for another sermon. But I know that people either like country music or they really hate country music. So let's keep it clean. Let's not make fun of each other, right? Let's be supportive right now. I have not listened to a lot of new country music, but I used to like it quite a bit back in the day. And in 2008, there was this song by Kenny Chesney. Maybe you country fans remember it. It's titled, Everybody Wants to Go to Heaven. Remember that song, Everybody Wants to Go to Heaven? The second part of that verse, when, when he's singing that, he says, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go now. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go now. And when I think about that song, I think about how life was for so many of us like, like a month and a half ago, right? Like a month and a half ago, you might have said the same thing, right? Like life was good. There, there wasn't any pending pandemic, or if there was, it was, felt like it was so far away that we weren't even really thinking about it. The world can change like that, can't it? And for Paul, what he's saying is that his circumstances are so difficult that it would be far better for him to go to heaven and go to heaven now. 
But he says in verse 24, to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. It's necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I'm going to remain and continue to be with you all for your progress and joy, again that word joy, in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul is convinced that there's a purpose beyond himself for what he is experiencing, even as he is in prison. And he holds the tension of that being an incredibly difficult thing to be in the midst of and knowing that there's a purpose that God is going to draw out of it. And so my question to you, and quite frankly, the question that I'm asking myself right now, and I'm asking God for the faith to be able to answer in an honorable, faithful way, is can you and I do the same thing? Can you and I do the same thing? Can we pray with a faith in God that holds intention that on one hand, life is really hard right now. Life is really frustrating right now. There's so many things that so many people are losing, not just the loss of life, but the loss of our freedom as we continue to stay home in order to save as many lives as we can. And on one hand, we want to do everything that we can in order to be able to, to do that. And on the other hand, we still mourn the losses the things that we didn't even know that we were going to need to sacrifice just maybe six weeks ago from now. Can we hold that intention? Can we hold that difficulty intention while at the same time taking Paul's words here that we might have eager expectation and hope that Paul has that God is going to use this for our deliverance? Can we be like Paul? Can we ask others to pray for us, for our practical needs? Is there something you need? Paul received this gift from the church in Philippi a thousand miles away. Is there a gift you need? Maybe when this all started, you had plenty of toilet paper. Maybe you don't now. Call us. Let us know. Are you running into financial difficulties? Are you, are you running into to, to food difficulties? Are you, are you, do you just need somebody to talk to? Because this is getting to be really, really hard. Would you call out and reach out for help? Paul was not above that. He said that this will be for my deliverance, but it's going to come because people are going to be praying for me, and it's going to come from the very presence of the Spirit of God. Paul says in, in Philippians 4, in the fourth chapter, the same letter, and we're not going to get into this this morning, but I at least want to point it out. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Why does Paul say that? Well, because you're going to be anxious about everything, right? And so he says, don't be anxious about anything, but I'm going to give you a whole bunch of other things to do instead. For that one thing that I'm telling you not to do, in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, resent your request to God. And let them be made known to him so that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And friends, Paul can say this. Paul can say this not because his life has been a bed of roses. He can say this not because everything is easy. He is literally sitting in the midst of a storm as we speak. He can say this, though, because he's been through them before. And you know what? So have many of you. 
See, this is the reason why, why I would sit at the feet and so many others would sit at the feet of Grandpa Koenig because he had been through so many things that his wisdom was valuable to me. It was valuable to so many people. And I know that many of you also have that kind of wisdom. That some of us need to just dig back deep into our own experiences and remember the times when we were facing circumstances that looked like they were beyond our control. The times that maybe we or a loved one was battling cancer and we didn't know if we were going to be able to make it through. That maybe you've been through job losses before and, and whether the whole world is going through it or whether it's just you, it's your whole world, you know what that feels like. You remember that, and you remember how God came alongside you in the midst of it. Many of us have experienced shattered dreams, losing a spouse, losing a child, losing a parent. The list goes on. And I believe that God wants to use those experiences as we share them with each other and as we even think about them ourselves to help teach us the lessons the way Paul is teaching us the lessons from his experience. It's what I did with my kids this week. When, when Governor Evers extended this the stay-at-home order, one of the first things we did, we actually talked about Philippians. They helped me. Some of the things I'm sharing with you came out of our family conversation. And I asked them, I said, I said, what are some things you've been through before that maybe will prepare you to be able to get through this? Times that maybe you've had to wait on God and pray for something. And, and right away, what they said to us is they said, the adoption of our sister Sophie. You don't know our story. Um, we waited over two years in prayer so that that little girl could formally be welcomed into our family just this past February. Our kids fasted, they fasted um, candy <laughs> in order to, to express their desire to God, and they did that for like two years. And so when I told them we were going to have to wait another month, they, that was the first thing they said. I didn't feed that to them. That was the first thing they said. They said, we know what it's like to wait. We know what it's like to pray to God for something with hopeful expectation that we will be delivered. And Paul is doing the same thing in what he's saying to the church in Philippi as well. Just like Grandpa Koenig would do the same thing for us. Not because we can understand everyone's experiences. Not because those experiences are not difficult. But because we can see the lessons in life and the blessings even that God is doing in the midst of them. And so I hope we can take the advice of Paul as we get into his word. I hope that we can pray for one another. I hope that we can thank God for being with us. And that we can follow, and I'll leave you with this, that C.S. Lewis in his book, The Problem of Pain, writes this. He says, Suffering is not good in itself. What is good in any painful experience for the sufferer is his submission to the will of God, and then for the spectators, the compassion aroused and the acts of mercy to which it leads. What Paul has learned about suffering and what he is imparting on the church in Philippi, and what he's sharing with us today was not something he learned overnight. It was after years of suffering and submitting himself in those moments to the will of God, knowing firsthand that in Christ and with Christ, he will be delivered. And so would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I just, I just pray. This is hard. And it's hard for each of us in different ways. It's, it's hard for medical professionals who are out there on the front lines every day. God, we thank you for them. 
We pray for strength that you would protect them. God, it's hard for those who are working in essential services to just to continue to, to keep things moving, to keep us provided for. God, we pray that you be with them and their families. For teachers that are doing just incredible work coming into our homes and not only instructing our children, but, but Lord, that they're just there loving them. God, we pray for the difficulty uh, that each and every one of our families are facing. God, we pray for those who've lost their jobs. We pray for small business owners, God. We pray for just, just too many to even list, but we know that you love each and every one of us the same, and you know the desires of our hearts, and you know what we're going through. And we know that we can put our faith and trust in you, not that it, not that it ignores the pain of what we're going through, but it's that first step to reach out and say that through prayer and through the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will be used for our deliverance. God, that we may too be like Grandpa Koenig someday, that there might be lessons that we learn in the midst of this that we get to impart on our loved ones and the generations that come after us. But God, we're going to need your help to do it. And so I pray that you will give each and every one of us what we need to stay safe, to stay healthy, and God, to, to be the kind of church that C.S. Lewis talks about, one that submits to the will of God so that those who are watching would see our compassion. And just like Paul, they would be led to you. You are our hope. You are light in a world of darkness. And it is in your name we pray. Amen.